what up what up folks welcome to episode 97 of the spun today podcast i'm your host tony ortiz thank you very much for listening if you'd like to help support the spun today podcast you can do so by checking out the affiliate links page at spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links there you'll find a bunch of cool ways to help support the podcast including shopping on amazon which does not cost you a dime all you do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links click on the amazon banner and do your shopping like you normally do in this episode i'll be speaking about moving watching the movie ready player one the March for Our Lives protest in D.C., and finally, the yellow and green cab, quote, revolution in New York City. So, like I told you guys last time I recorded an actual episode, which feels like a minute ago, um, I was in the process of moving, so I recorded uh, like two episodes in advance, which was episode like 94 and then episode 95, which was the 95 was uh, speaking with my wife about uh, going through the second trimester and stuff like that. And then episode 96 wound up being a re-release of an older audiobook podcast of a short story that I wrote called Bully. And I decided to re-release that because I hadn't done so in like three years and then, you know, there's newer listeners now of the podcast that may have not heard that, but also because I couldn't find most of the podcast equipment and I didn't want to just like throw an episode together and have it be like low quality and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a win-win. I could put some new listeners onto some old content and um, also didn't have to like rush to throw something together. Oh, man. Moving is a bitch. I mean, like, it's a good, positive thing. You definitely hear people, you know, speak about how much it sucks, unpacking and unpacking and stuff like that. And um, it does. I mean, I've done it before, but I had it in, I don't know, like eight years, I want to say. And I just grossly underestimated, like, everything that we had to do. And... Shout out to my brother that helped me with all the like painting and, and cleaning up and and moving in general. My best friend also helped. Uh, and um, it was just like a ton of shit that I figured like in my head I had to calculate it out to, you know, the whole thing will take, you know, three days, you know, in a week will be like completely unpacked and and you know, in three days we'll like clean, then paint, then prime, then prime, then paint, and you know, fix a little thing, knickknacks here and there. And then uh, fast forward, um, almost five weeks later, and I still have about like four boxes left to unpack, and what's supposed to be my son's nursery, which I can't build up and fix up yet because. You know, it's still a bunch of shit in the way. <laughs> and this is, mind you, working weekends. And also, uh, like, uh, evenings, like, after work. Like, me and my brother would meet up and do a little bit here and there. And there's, it's just, like, a bunch of shit always, you know, that you don't expect. And, and it adds up, definitely. 
but I'd say we're like 95% there and we're happy, have a, a bit more space, getting used to our new, new surroundings, uh, new neighbors. You know, we're still in Queens, we're like 10 minutes away from where we were before. So it's not like geographically like a big shift or anything like that, but it's definitely taken some getting used to. And, um, I am recording. This is the first sponsored podcast recording from the new spot. So probably sounds no different to you guys at all, but <laughs> it feels slightly weird and different to me. Anyway, Ready Player One, the movie came out and I will probably spoil a bunch for anyone that has not read the book and has not seen the movie if you read the book and you haven't seen the movie you know you know the story anyway so i wouldn't say really spoiler alert to any of you fo- folks but if you haven't seen the movie and you also never read the book then definitely skip ahead because i'm gonna spoil a bunch for you guys i've recorded uh episodes of the podcast in the past where i've referenced ready player one um it is my favorite novel i would have to say i i've definitely drawn from its style of of writing specifically like the pace of it for the novel that i'm working on it was a great great read that i recommended to people and the movie recently came out now when i saw the trailer for the movie for the first time even like the, the second and third time like i, I like rewatched it a couple times like i saw it in the theater for the very first time and i was kind of disappointed i was excited that it was they were going to make a movie of it and but the trailer was kind of like a letdown so then i rewatched the trailer a few times and it didn't really grow on me too much um i thought that they fucked up the movie and you hear all the time where writers don't like the way a movie came out. Writers of, or uh, novelists rather, uh, sell the rights to their movie and they hate how it comes out. And this is where the whole, you know, the movie, the book was better than a movie thing comes from, which was absolutely the case uh, with Ready Player One. But it's easy to see why that's the case with you know, most, most, why most writers feel that way about the, you know, their books versus the movies. And it's because a book is a longer time commitment. You know, it's more dense. There's tons of more information. The uh, reader has uh, more of a, I guess, personal, interpersonal relationship with it because it's, directly from the writer to the reader and then it's the reader's imagination that intertwines with the writer's words and you visualize it a specific way in your head and that could be different for each individual reader and it's different for the writer before a movie although you know different people can watch the same movie and you know have you know take different things away from it of course but a lot of that uh, individuality is lost because you're being uh, 
it's like you're being spoon-fed like what to think what to see with the with the cinematography and the uh directorial choices directorial i don't even know if director directorial is the word but the choices that the director (laughs) chooses to to take to make um also the score you know like the music um helps you think certain certain things certain ways so it leaves less to your imagination because you have a lot more senses involved in the creation of the world that's being presented to you versus reading the book where you're largely creating it uh yourself along with the the help of the words of the writer now with the movie ready player one i am glad and delighted to say that i was not disappointed at all it was a really good movie that i enjoyed watching every minute of it was long it was two hours and i want to say like 20 minutes long or something like that 215 maybe and it was still um paced fast paced enough where it it kept you like hooked in and interested. Steven Spielberg directed it, which was I knew he was he was directing it. Then I forgot. Then I remembered again, and I was like, you know, maybe the movie won't be won't be too bad with uh, Spielberg behind it. Um, you know, based on just what I saw from the trailers. And just to be clear, what I didn't like from the trailers is, uh, based on the trailer, it was it looked like heavy, heavy, like sci-fi ish. Like the whole shit was just like sci-fi type of thing. And I know, at least from my experience from reading the book, it wasn't that. It was partly that because it has to do with virtual reality and, and you know, going into these different virtual realities. But it was grounded in the real world. And I didn't see a lot of that in the, in the trailer. But thankfully, uh, the at least for my personal taste, the, the movie wasn't like heavy sci-fi-ish as heavy sci-fi-ish as like the trailers made it seem to me uh ernest klein co-wrote the screenplay which i'm sure that that helped as well you know keeping his vision aligned with uh how he wrote the the novel uh he co-wrote the screenplay with zach penn this was by the way ernest klein's first novel and um he is an american writer lives in austin texas He's married, has a kid, and is, like, heavy into, like, 80s, like, pop culture and, and uh, like, video games and stuff like that, um, which is, if you know the, the story, it's, like, riddled, that theme is, like, riddled throughout Ready Player One. Like, there's references to, like, 80s movies and 80s games and Atari and, and like, the main character drives a DeLorean uh, the Back to the Future DeLorean, to be exact, to be specific, um, it's dope. It's it's uh, there's a lot of like nostalgia tied in with the story. Now, casting choices, I have two things to say on that. the The H character played by Lena Waithe was dope. That was great. Like I was like really happy. Like I like her. I was happy to to see see that she was in it. And she was, um, uh, she's, uh, in that, uh, Aziz Ansari show on Netflix. 
that for some reason I'm spacing on the name, uh, but she's the his uh, his friend, the black lesbian friend. Uh, she's also the creator of the shy, and she did a great job, and it was dope to see her in it. Uh, T.J. Miller, which is the the guy that plays Eric in Silicon Valley, the HBO show. Uh, he was in it. He was he was hilarious. He was like super funny, and uh, that, I, I had no idea that he was gonna be in it. But he played one of the characters. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And did you guys hear about his like train incident thing? By any chance, he was like. I think I heard it on like Charlemagne gave him Donkey of the Day or something like that. So I didn't look into the story at all. But from that segment, he allegedly was on a train. And I could be like butchering this. So look it up if you're interested enough to do so. I wasn't, but whatever. It's interesting enough to mention, I guess. (laughs) Um, He was like on a train and I don't know if he got into an argument with the lady or what but he wound up calling in a bomb threat and he was drunk supposedly and he thought it was a good idea while he was drunk to do this and then he called it to like the wrong train or something and then the uh cops like traced the call back to his phone and um when they confronted him about it he denied it and i don't know it was like some crazy shit like that some weird, crazy shit like that. Um, all right, where was I? Uh, the characters. All right, so the only, only, only gripe that I have with the movie is uh, the character that played Sorrento. He's the main antagonist. He's the bad guy in the movie. And he, I don't know, I, I feel like it was... I mean, the the actor did an okay job, like, in terms of, like, acting, but I don't know, to me, he just wasn't, like, believable, like, he wasn't, like, he just seemed like a pussy, like, from, from the jump, like, just from seeing him, and his, like, the character in the book is, like, this larger-than-life, you know, head of a corporation, you know, powerful, scary cutthroat type of dude you know what i mean and this guy that played him in the movie he didn't come off like that at all to me all right so besides that um some details were changed like from the book to to uh the movie and i would imagine my guess is that this always happens and this is why writers of books like are often dissatisfied with how the movies uh, wind up coming out but the actual like rearranging of certain things or or rewriting of certain things plays better on screen and plays better with the time constraints that a movie has so this was a long movie and it was like you know like almost two and a half, two hours 20 minutes or whatever it was so imagine you have to condense the the read of a book, which is like six to eight hours into two hours and 20 minutes. That sounds like the hardest job ever. And I do not envy screenwriters that have to, that have to adapt a novel into a movie. That sounds just fucking impossible. 
But here's some of the things that were changed or different from book to movie. And this is where, like, I guess, like, the spoiler spoilers would come in. In the movie, uh, Artemis winds up getting, like, arrested and, and going, uh, becoming part of uh, IOI and having to work for them. And she's the one that, you know, she's within the system and they get her out, but she stays, you know, inside, inside their, like, territory and tries to bring down, like, the magic orb that's, like, Sorrento was using to, like, block the third, the third, um, gate, the third and last gate, uh, to win the, you know, holidays, uh, Easter egg. And Artemis was the one that was like working from the inside and the rest of the team was working from the outside in the novel. However, it's, uh, the other way around, um, Wade Watts, AKA Parzival, which is the main character. He was the one that infiltrated IOI and, um, he paid to like get a name change and change his identity pretty much. And, and then, um, get arrested to have to work, you know, for them internally. And that's how he infiltrated and um, pretty much did the same thing that Artemis did, but he was the one doing it in the book, whereas Artemis was the one doing it in the movie. That was one thing, uh, but definitely no problems with that at all. Like it, it played out, played out pretty dope on screen, and was still I feel like true to like the story. Something they left out completely, which I guess it made sense in terms of, you know, you have to cut somewhere. So in the book, when uh, Parzival, the main character, he gets the first key, the first gate. There's three, three, Holiday, which was the guy that created the Oasis, which is this like virtual reality uh thing that think of like the internet but like a new internet and it's like virtual reality and the entire world uses it uh men women children everybody you know people go to school by putting on a headset and go into like virtual reality school and you know that's what people do exercise that's how people have meetings that's how they work that's how you know everything is done in the oasis pretty much and you know like the same way that we're like addicted to our phones and um uh, this guy Halliday, which is a trillionaire for like creating this thing, he dies. He creates this like Willy Wonka style game where you know one pure, true uh, person that um, loves you know pop culture as much as he did and '80s movies and and video games and music and tons of other things like that um, would. Uh, have to go through a, a series of finding like these three keys uh, which led to opening up three different gates that had like different obstacles that they had to overcome based on their knowledge of you know all this all this pop culture shit and the person ultimately would inherit the oasis and you know be the essentially like be the owner of it ioi is the company that's like the number two company um that does the same shit and you know they're easily the number two company but uh distant second to the oasis um but they want obviously to be the number one company and you know that's their that's their um motivation
an IOI in and of itself is like a you know a huge corporation and they make a lot of the equipment that's used to like access the Oasis and they have like hundreds of employees and you know working around the clock and you know trying to like crack these codes and figure these riddles out and shit like that uh but part of all this like poor kid from Columbus Ohio um who lives in like a uh trailer park in the future it takes place in like 2045 and trailer parks then are like literally stacked one on top of each other and they're called the stacks and he's the one that finds the the first key and then once he does the he gets like a hundred thousand i think it's a hundred thousand uh coin which is pretty much like the virtual money think like bitcoin or something like that he gets a hundred thousand um which you know he's rich you know with a hundred thousand and you know it's so the oasis is so ubiquitous that it's literally like a hundred thousand dollars in the oasis is like a hundred thousand dollars in the real world like you can buy shit with the with the money from the oasis because you know that's all that people do that's all that people like use so you can like purchase something like a real life delivery you know purchase or you can purchase like a new hairstyle for the avatar that you use in your oasis so something that they left out is um in the movie is that once he gets this like hundred grand he like uh buys this like new place it's like a penthouse that he never has to leave and it's like really close to uh ioi to their headquarters because they have a direct uh, you know like fiber optic internet connection so everything's like a touch faster the closer you are to to that to the source so he did it with the purpose of um upgrading all his shit he got like this new haptic suit and 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 this uh fancy like rig like top of the line shit across the board to be able to compete even more to you know find the other like two keys since he already found the first one and be the one that you know pretty much inherits the oasis in the movie they skipped that and um you know they showed that he did buy a few a few like upgrades and stuff like that but he stayed like where he was and they didn't show him like bowling out of control like that you know something that was really cool and this is a testament to the level of detail that Ernest Klein writes with was that there's this scene in the movie that is also in the book where they go to uh the main character and Artemis uh, which is his like crush love interest and they go to this like a dance club place where you like jump and like float in the middle and like dance in the middle picture you don't like those skydiving things that they have on cruises that you like jump and you like sky you're like skydiving but you're like in a tube that is just like blowing like a shitload of air and you're like floating kind of picture like something like that but instead of being like horizontal you're just like floating like standing up and like dancing and like dancing in the air type of shit and the the way it looked in the movie is exactly exactly like to the t how i pictured it when i uh when i was reading the book like it was like weird because i felt like it was like taken from like my head 
and put up on the big screen like literally exactly how i pictured it and again that's a, just a testament to how dope of a writer um ernest klein is with being able like having the ability to set that setting i would be interested in other people that have read it have read the book and seeing if they had the similar experience with that with that um uh scene in particular so if you have hit me up at spun today on twitter or email me at spun today at gmail.com what else um holiday the creator of the oasis had a partner and in the movie the partner winds up he's still alive and he he was a bit more like geared towards like the business side of it and you know he still wanted to maintain the integrity of it but was willing to like change certain aspects like move on move with the times type of thing but how they wasn't he wanted to keep it pure in its original state and like never change anything um so they like butted heads a bit and how they wound up like buying him out and and buying him out of the company but he was still someone that still you know cared about the oasis and knew what it would mean if you know it got into the hands of iy and he in the book like watched over um parts of all and artemis and you know like that little crew in a way that was like you can you can have like private chats with people but you also had the ability to like be invisible and like enter somebody else's like private chat or something like that if you had certain like access that i guess this dude did and that's how he he kind of like watched over like the team to make sure you know kind of like nudge him in the right directions and like stuff like that not to like help him like cheat or anything like that but he was kind of like wanting to know like are are these people for real or are they just gonna like win and then like sell it to like ioi or something like that like sell the rights to the oasis um and there was none of that in in the movie then in the movie the way that he kind of like had the same effect of like looking after like wade and the team and seeing like where they're at was by he played the role of like this virtual assistant in the library of of the memories of holiday which is where people would go to like do research because he like indexed like every movie that he ever saw every song that he ever listened to um every game he ever played and like stuff like that and you can pull them up and see like live video of when he was like eight years old playing atari and it's a like museum of this shit and there's this like virtual assistant guy which wound up being holiday's like partner and wound up being him so that's the role that you know he effectively had the same role because like wade would always like go to this museum place to like look things up and and you know he was there pretty much like watching over him type of thing and that's something that's specific to the movie and he also he's the one that gives like wade this like extra extra life quarter thing that pretty much like saves his ass at the end and he gave it to him on a bet that he lost uh to him like while he was this like uh butler thing he like made him a bet that 
Halliday did something and the like Butler museum curator machine thing said no that that's wrong and he said I'll bet you anything and he bet him and he gave him this quarter they just like kind of like put it in his pocket or whatever but it wound up being like this extra life that Wade had when everybody else uh Sorrento selfishly like wanted to like blow everybody up including himself and but Wade was still alive because he had this like extra life quarter thing in his pocket in the book um Wade actually uh won that quarter that extra life quarter by going to this uh gaming arcade that Halliday used to go to when he was a kid and it's like in a replica of the na- in exact replica of the neighborhood where Holiday uh, grew up, and he went to this like pizzeria that had this like game arcade in the back, and he played I think it was Pac Man, and Pac Man or Mrs Pac Man, and um he played it, he had to like win the entire thing, without dying once or something like that, and he did it. And then he won this like extra life quarter thing and put it in his pocket. And that's how he got it in the book versus how he got it in the movie. So there were a few things like that, which again, tastefully done, got the same point across, was told differently and, you know, still stayed true to the story because it still, again, got the same point across. And it was a really, really good movie. Ready Player One in theaters now check it out and uh if you're listening to this you know years and years from now uh you know pull it up on netflix or whatever you know streaming service you subscribe to now that may have it and um enjoy all right i wanted to circle back to the gun debate uh just for for a second uh because there was the last episode that i recorded the random rant episode number 94 if I'm not mistaken, was the episode where I spoke about the, like, gun debate and my thoughts on it, and, uh, the recent, um, uh, mass shooting that occurred, and, uh, there was something that I forgot to, to mention, which was kind of like a call to action type of thing, or like a tip or advice for anyone, everyone who's, like, up in arms about it and, you know, wants to see a change and stuff like that. Don't go about it the same way that that I feel always has been like the go to, which is like you know petitioning Congress and have you know asking them to like change and um, enact you know stricter laws and enact uh, common sense uh, gun laws now, but rather vote them out, vote out the people that are not playing ball or not acting in your best interest. I know it's not a popular thing to say or, you know, people kind of like roll their eyes and groan when when you speak to them about voting. But that is much closer to the root of the issue. And I feel much more effective of an attempt to, like, correct that wrong than just asking a congressman that's been in office for... 10 years, 15 years, 30 years to vote against what is now their interests. And we need to understand that it's very doable to make that happen. I mean, 
I think we often conflate as like the like voting populace. We often conflate, you know, the presidency and that election with all the other elections, you know, our more local elections or the midterm elections where you vote for Congress and, and Senator and then even lower than that, like state Senator and um, city council, mayor, governor, all these smaller elections that have more of a direct impact to us. The congressional races are more in line with those races than they are with the presidential uh, races. Even though Congress is at the federal level, where your congressman is tied to a specific district, which is your district. Like a, and by district, I mean a, a specific, like physical place. Like, let's say, like the town that you live in, um, Howard Beach, Ozone Park, Woodhaven, you know, little like areas, the, the geographical area that you live in, you know, I don't know, a 30 mile radius or whatever it is. Like, they have a specific coverage area that they represent. And similar to like a city council member, an assemblyman or woman, and they just have like smaller districts within those uh, uh, larger districts that uh, uh, congressman or congresswoman covers. Whereas the president doesn't have that. The president is just a national. The nation is his district, if you will. So it kind of makes sense. Um, The argument of you know, in a practical sense, it makes sense. Philosophically, it doesn't make any sense at all. But the argument of, you know, I live in New York, why am I going to vote if, you know, New York, New York is going to be a blue state anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's not the case for for the, the smaller elections. Like uh, congressional races that are coming up now in 2018, these midterm elections, there's far less turnout for these races because people are not as engaged at that at this level i think it's something like 40 percent of eligible voters actually vote in midterm elections meaning that there's 60 percent out of 100 people let's say that can vote for the congressman in your district that may be voting uh, against common sense uh, gun laws you know 40 people go to vote there's 60 others that just stay home because they don't know about it they don't care enough about it etc that's where you attack. That's where those are the people you need to like hit up as well as the 40 that are going, the 40% that are going, the triple prime voters, double prime voters, prime voters, which means that they're uh, voters that have voted in a prime election in the last prime election, the last two prime elections, the last three prime elections, etc. You can go out there, get out the vote, find a politician to back that that backs, you know, common sense law reform that is willing to propose to make uh, certain changes. And, you know, you do it, you do this by getting out the vote yourself, telling people to go vote, you know, going door knocking, volunteering for free a couple weekends, you know, here and there for a politician. And these elections are literally won with a couple hundred votes. Like, it's not, it's nothing extraordinary. It's not like, you know, millions and tens of thousands, and it's it's really not. Just to give you a practical example, the uh, congressman in my district, the total turnout for his last election was 
8,600 people, 8,635 people, 7,056 of which voted for him, and 1,579 voted for the person challenging him. A lot of these congressmen and people that have been elected officials for a long time have name recognition within their districts because it's the uh, just a being the elected official in the district, like you, you know, you're constantly mailing things to the people that vote in your district and your name's out there and your name's on billboards and stuff like that. And people recognize the name. And a lot of people vote based off of name recognition. That's like one of the like number one commodities in an election. And I think that scares people off from running against, um, these incumbents, but it's very doable. Or at least a lot more doable when you see it that when you look at it this way of, you know, overcoming a a figure of 7,000 versus like 7 million or something like that. And these people in like the march for D.C., this march in D.C., the um, what was it called? The March for Our Lives protest in D.C. had something like half a million, like 500,000 people. And there were protests all around in New York, L.A., uh, Baltimore, Miami. If these people and or these kids that are 17 going on 18, 18 going on 19, that, uh, you know, at 18, you have the right to vote, you know, continue um, with this momentum throughout this election cycle, they can make a huge dent, a huge impact into the current makeup of Congress which is where the roadblocks lie. And that's just, you know, my two cents and my piece of advice for anyone who wants it. Something that was dope from from the the march was the the speech given by Emma Gonzalez and she looks like Eleven from Stranger Things. You know, she had like the shave head thing going. And she gave a very, very touching, impactful speech where she took the time that she had and, you know, she dropped her gems and, you know, said what she wanted to say, but also took the time uh, knowing that it was like a live broadcast to give a moment of silence, which was super impactful, more impactful than uh, a lot of the words that anyone else like said was the silence that she delivered and and made us all like live through you know she just stood there like at the podium for like six it was six minutes and change um symbolizing the like six minutes and i think it was 17 seconds that the shooter was shooting and uh took the lives of uh, of almost 20 people and she just stood there like at the podium and then she started tearing and you see like um tears coming down her eyes and then it shows the audience and they were going through the same thing and it was like really impactful and then she continued with her speech after that and um just walked off like like a boss like fucking 11 from stranger things and it was pretty cool it was pretty powerful to see now switching gears real quick to new york city specifically with what at least I'm calling the yellow and green cab um quote unquote revolution. Who knows if it'll happen, who knows if it'll help. 
Um, but just to give you, you all a bit of a, a backstory, there are a lot of like yellow cabs in New York City. That's what, you know, that's like an iconic symbol of New York. Um, then they came up with these green cabs, which cannot, I forget what the deal is with them. They cannot drive past or lower than like midtown to downtown or something like that. There can't be any green cabs, but they can do uptown and then the five bur the, the other four boroughs or something like that. And, um, with the advent of like Uber and, and these, uh, shared driving services, they, they were like up in arms because these people, uh, the cabs, the yellow cabs operate under a system of medallions where you have to purchase a medallion, which could cause like, I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars to own a medallion and people like rent them out. And only if you have a medallion, are you able to cab and make money? So once these, um, like Uber came out, it like completely disrupted the whole cab game because you have high fees. You don't know how much you're going to pay when you get into a yellow cab. It's like an instant fee. And then depending on traffic and distance and, you know, the meter just keeps going and going. Um, you don't know, you know, you're, if it's going to be a $10 ride or a $25 ride. And, you know, they rallied up against like Uber and protested them and, and stuff like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, Uber was just a more with the times with this newer generation um of like efficiency and and you know did it in a way where it's accessible to everyone with a smartphone uh tells you exactly how much you're going to be paying for a ride and get me from point a to point b let me know as soon as you're arriving give me different options to contact you but whether it be via text or or phone call and i don't want to have to carry around money you know etc cetera, etc cetera. everything is sleek simple efficient and for a long time these uh like the yellow and cab uh yellow cab um like representatives i guess like the t uh tlc well i don't think it would be the taxi and limousine commission or maybe it is but i don't think so because uber uber drivers have to get tlc licenses also but the yellow cab um, I'm talking out of my ass, but I'm assuming like their unions or representatives have someone on the yellow cap side <laughs> has just been like wanting to get rid of Uber and, you know, uh, those, uh, like services. So things can return to the status quo, return to how they used to be. But I'm glad to report that at least from a news um, piece that I saw the yellow and green cabs are proposing like a, a bunch of changes to their setup now you know they're changing which shows their the proper mentality of like changing with the times and and evolving and enhancing certain things as opposed to wanting to keep shit like how it was and like bucking at change they uh, proposed offering upfront fees and so you know exactly how much you're going to pay for point a to point b you know no more meters and shit like that 
and also uh, quiet cars, which um, if you've been in the back of a yellow cab, they have like these little TVs that all it is is like commercial after commercial after commercial and shit. And it's like selling you shit. And they propose like getting rid of that as well, which I thought was pretty cool. It's definitely a step in the right direction. And with that, folks, I leave you. This uh, was episode 97 of the Spontaneous Podcast. I appreciate you guys again for listening. Stick around, listen to some tunes, and check out a few ways that you can help support the podcast. Would you like to receive a short email from me once a week? You know that feeling you have on a Monday at work when you have absolutely nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear, the Midday Monday Boost letter is here. In this short weekly newsletter, you will receive five things. One is a photograph of the week from a photographer. A podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts, dozens and dozens of podcasts, hundreds of episodes. And I cherry pick the best ones and I share them with you here. You'll also receive a video of the week, which could be anything from a rap battle to a TED talk. You receive a quote of the week, something to let marinate in your mind. And a word of the week so that you and I can both step up our vocab. So if any of that sounds of interest to you, check it out. Check out the subscribe page at spuntray.com forward slash subscribe. Drop in your email address and you'll receive the very next one. For any writers or creatives out there, I have a questionnaire. It's a five question questionnaire that anyone is free to fill out. It's located at spuntray.com forward slash questionnaire. And what it is, is five open-ended questions related to your craft. It's things like what inspires you to write or create whenever you don't feel the inspiration to do so. What are your favorite apps or tools or tricks to trick yourself into getting into the mind state of actually creating? What inspires you, etc., etc., stuff like that. And what I do with your responses is share them on a future episode of the podcast. Now, you can choose to remain anonymous if you choose to. You have that option right there when you fill out the questionnaire. And if you do not choose to remain anonymous, I give you a shout out on the podcast and promote for free whatever it is that you have going on. So I appreciate you in advance for sharing that with me, as well as the rest of the listeners of the Sponsored Podcast, which would stand to gain from you filling out the questionnaire. Now, you can help support the podcast in a myriad of ways. One way which does not cost you anything and is most popular within the podcasting community is by shopping on Amazon using my affiliate links banner. So the way that works is you go to sponsored.com forward slash affiliate links or just click on the affiliate links tab at the top center of the page. And there you will see a banner for Amazon. 
you literally just click on that and it takes you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It does not cost you anything extra, but Amazon will give me a kickback just for driving traffic to their website. So that would be a big help. It literally costs you nothing extra financially, just costs you a couple of extra clicks of your mouse before you do your Amazon shopping. The iTunes banner that's on that same page works the same way. So if you're purchasing music or movies or whatever it is on iTunes, feel free to go through my affiliate link portal there as well. If you want to make a one-time uh, PayPal donation, feel free to do so. There's a PayPal donation button on there as well. Within that same tab, you'll also find a link to the Spun Today Viral Style Store. Now, the Viral Style Store is a store where you can get Spun Today merch, whether it's a coffee mug or a t-shirt that I personally designed. And spoiler alert, I'm no, I'm no Ralph Lauren or you know whoever designs Gucci stuff. <laughs> but... I did create the design of those shirts myself. I have a couple t-shirts on there. One that says, for example, right need every day, which is a playoff of Snoop, Dre, and Nate Dogg's smoke weed every day. So it's right need every day with like a puff cloud of smoke behind it. I have a podcast verse everybody t-shirt and uh, just stuff like that. So check it out. The link to the viral style store is also there. You can also help support the podcast on a reoccurring basis if you become a Patreon supporter. Now, Patreon is pretty cool, and it's, there's a little um, video explanation of what it is and how it works, but I'll try to do my best to summarize it here. Basically, you sign on to Patreon, which is a free service for your account, and you can support not just myself, but any other uh, podcasters or creatives that also have patreon pages and you can choose to for example donate a dollar to them on a per episode basis so the spun today podcast has two uh, episodes a month so if you donate a dollar to it it'll be two dollars a month basically and you set it up and it just happens automatically on a reoccurring basis there are zero fees you can cancel at any time no hassle no bullshit and it's, uh, it's a cool way to help support and is much appreciated. And also, it's not just like a, for example, uh, a PayPal donation, which is just that. But through Patreon, it allows the creator, in this case being myself, to set up a reward system, if you will. So if you donate a dollar per episode, you are considered a tier one supporter. If you donate three dollars per episode, you are a second tier supporter etc etc and it goes up to four tiers and each tier gets different things like uh tier one gets a free spun today bookmark and a shout out on the podcast tier three gets uh gets those two things from tier one as well as a free writing piece that's not posted on on my website or available to anyone else etc etc so check that out if you will and uh, visit my Patreon page at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Spun Today. Another great, amazing way to help support the podcast is to rate and review it. This costs you absolutely nothing. Whether you listen on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, 
on iHeartRadio, on Pocket Casts, on Overcast, on Player FM, on Google Play, on YouTube, on Tumblr, or if you listen on Podbay or any other of your favorite podcast apps. Please rate and review the episode. It really is the number one way to help the show gain traction, gain exposure. You know, you could also share it with friends and family and tell them, you know, check out what this idiot is saying. Some of it is actually pretty good or it all fucking sucks and you should listen and laugh. But as long as you're listening, <laughs> it would be much appreciated. So rate and review the podcast wherever it is that you listen. Follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Spun Today. Like the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Subscribe to my YouTube page as well. All podcast episodes are available on YouTube as well as clipped versions. For example, with the random rant episodes, you know, I speak about a bunch of different topics instead of having the full episode alone, which is also available on YouTube. But you also have snippets of the different topics broken up into more digestible chunks. So check that out. You can also support by checking out my book, Make Way For You, Tips For Getting Out Of Your Own Way. It's a quick short read if you're looking for some inspiration and motivation. And you can find out more about it at spuntray.com forward slash books. There you'll find a video of me telling you all how the book came to fruition, as well as a couple of audio excerpts. If you're interested, you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Kindle, iBooks. Kobo in ebook or paperback format, which you can find on Amazon. Also, for being a Spun Today listener, I can also send you a free copy right there on that same landing page at sponsor.com forward slash books. Drop in your email address at the bottom of the page and I'll shoot you over a copy in the format of your choice. And that's all I got, folks. Thanks again for checking out this episode. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening.